0: Well, my wife Eva and I, we have been cord cutters for eight years. Scratch that, nine, because you have to add one for the pandemic. Everything seems less than it was because we, we missed a year. So for you young folks, cord, cutting the cord means not having cable television. So we have over-the-air antenna TV, and we stream a couple of channels one that we've enjoyed from time to time, is called Pet Collective. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's a bunch of home movies of people with their pets. And I get, whenever I feel like, you know, maybe we should get a dog, I turn on Pet Collective for half an hour, and I'm done. But one of the things that I noticed in watching these videos, that there were common themes The dogs in these videos were very loving, they were very caring. The the dogs would nuzzle up to a little kitten or a a sleeping child, and it was very tender. If their owner, whatever their owner was doing, their owner fell, the dog always came running up to the owner and jumped on him to play. Oh, you're at my level, you must want to play. And that was... Clip after clip after clip, this was a common theme of dogs in these videos. In contrast, were cats quite different. The owner would call the cat, and the cat would just act disinterested, in just look away, look away, just look up into the space. However, if the owner ignored them, then they'd get right up in their face and they'd swat at their face to get their attention. It's like they don't want to be bothered until they want attention. So I found that very interesting that cats and dogs have this unique nature, this unique characteristic that's different between cats and dogs. So it is with people. There's human nature that everyone starts life out with. But then something happens when we're saved. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 Therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation the old has passed away behold the new has come When we're saved we have a new family we have new access to God we have new freedom we have new provisions We have a new destination. And we also have a new nature. Now, this morning's message is a follow up to our new family that we had a couple of weeks ago. And it's a companion to last week's message by Pastor James on suffering. He walked us through the results of thinking rightly about suffering, about having the proper perspective. And this morning, we'll see that part of our new nature is to have a new perspective. So we see that, and we will see, that God gave us this new nature so that we can suffer well. Where he guides, he provides. He doesn't call us to do something unless he's equipped us to be able to do it. So we're going to be talking about nature this morning. Not nature as a natural wildlife, but nature. By this definition, it's in your notes. Nature, a concept that denotes the fundamental dispositions and characteristics, including ways of thinking, feeling, and acting. It is often used to denote a being's essence, or what it means to be that being. So just as the nature of cats and dogs are different, so also is the nature between believers and unbelievers different. And why is this important? Why is it important to know our new nature? Well, for this next point, the world, our flesh, and the enemy seek to distort our understanding of our new nature because of all the things that we receive when we are saved, our new nature is the most visible. When we're saved, we have a new destination. But unbelievers can't see heaven. They can't see our sin invoice stamped paid in full by the blood of Christ. When we're saved, we don't glow in the dark. That would be helpful. It would be nice that once you're saved, you get to glow in the dark. And then we could just turn the lights off. And find out, all right, who's not glowing? Let's share the gospel with them. (laughs) It's only our nature. It's what we think, say, and do. The outward expressions of those things that they see. And that's why those three groups want to distort how we understand our nature. One of the greatest demonstrations that God exists and he saves is our living our life in our new nature. Our new nature is not natural, but supernatural. It's not the result of genetics. We all know because of the curse, we're all cursed. The original fall, sin, is in our bodies. So our new nature is not a result of that, it's supernatural. And when we have a distorted view of our new nature, we behave in ways that don't properly reflect God's character. Life is more difficult for us. And we're not effective for the cause of Christ, which is to share the gospel. Romans 6, verse 4, it is written, we were buried therefore with him, Jesus, by baptism into death, in order that Just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So before we get to look at some of the components and characteristics of our new nature, I thought it would be helpful to look at some basic truths about that nature. The first is, if I am saved, then I am currently a new person. I'm not becoming new. I'm currently a new person. Our new nature is a result of justification. At that moment, we have all of the components of this new nature. From that very moment, the rest of our lives is learning about this new nature and a learning process of how to live from that newness. That's called sanctification, growing in Christ's likeness. Our Sunday morning class, Explored Discipleship, helps examine this new nature and the various components. We've just finished week 10. We've got two more to go, Lord willing. Now, we don't receive this new nature piecemeal. It's not an installment plan. It's not like, oh, today I'm getting my new attitude. Next month I'm going to get my new priority. It's not like one of those subscription gift boxes. Anyone get those monthly subscription boxes? You can subscribe to a, uh, to a particular theme of a box, and if you, if you like chocolate... You subscribe, and every month you get a different chocolate that comes in a box. Well, our new nature is not like that. We get all of our nature in its its totality at the moment we're saved. And it's a matter of living life out to understand how we live in that new nature. Next, my new nature can't be taken away. Once the Lord gives us this new nature, he doesn't take it back. We can choose to live in this new nature or not, but we still have it. Even if we're not living in it, we still have it. So there's no excuse. The newness of this life doesn't decay over time. It's not like a pair of new shoes that you buy today, and then a year from now they're not new. It's an unchanging state. This newness of life is in contrast to our life before Christ. It is an unchanging state. Our nature is not going to expand or contract. It remains unchanged. From this point, throughout eternity. The next truth about our new nature. Only believers... Have this new nature. It's given to us by God. It's part of the package when we're saved. Unbelievers can mimic some of those parts of that new nature, but it's based on their own values and beliefs. And that can change because they're only accountable to themselves. But we're accountable to the Lord, and we have this new nature that doesn't change. And only we have that nature. We cannot expect unbelievers to have the new nature that we have. Which leads to the next point. All believers have this new nature. There's no exceptions. There's not a believer who doesn't have this new nature. Our socio-economic, ancestral, religious, political, cultural backgrounds, they're all irrelevant it doesn't matter our journey through life or where we started, at the moment that we're saved, we all receive this new nature. So we can't say, "I'm of this ethnic background, so I can't do this. There's a, there's a poster that I guess is from World War II in England. Don't uh, keep calm, carry on. There's, I, I've seen a poster that said. I'm Italian, I can't keep calm. And for the unregenerate person, that's, that may be true. But for those of us who saved, who have this new nature, we don't have that excuse because we have a new nature. It doesn't matter what our upbringing is. It doesn't matter what the, cu- the culture is. We belong to the Lord. And he made us a new creation. It reminds me of a, a dear brother who was a long-time member of this church who recently went home to be with the Lord. And he was born and raised in Philly. And we got along. It was like old, old hometown week when we were together because those of us from the Northeast, we kind of think in similar ways. Anyone else from Pennsylvania, New York, Jersey? Wow, fewer and fewer. <laughs> but we, we think a little differently than people from the West Coast. And so when we would be sitting and listening to something that didn't seem right to that you know northeast sensibility, he would lean over to me and ask me, Does that make sense? Does that sound right? Because of that unique life experience we had growing up, we saw things differently. But as believers, we should look through all we should look at all things through the lens of Scripture led by the Holy Spirit. So it doesn't matter what our ethnicity is or our culture, the Lord has given us a new nature and we're to live our lives through that. So let's take a look at what Scripture says about this new nature. So if you would, please open up your Bibles to the book of Colossians. We'll be in chapter 3. There are many places throughout the New Testament that describe our new nature, but this seems to be the one that kind of encapsulates it all in just a a few verses. So let's walk through that. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them so you also must forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. If you are inclined to write in your Bible, I would encourage you to underline the word thankful. Verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And underline the word thankfulness. Verse 17, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks, yes, underline that one too, to God the Father through him. What a wonderful picture the scripture paints and explains to us what our new nature is supposed to look like. What what it looks like in words and in actions and contrasting that with the nature of the world which when we were not saved participated in. We have been set free from the shackles of sin and punishment but we also have a new nature that defines us. We have a new identity, new thoughts, new feelings, new motives, new desires, new priorities, which leads us to our first point, first characteristic in our new nature. We have a new priority that defines what's important to me. Verse 1 Seek the things that are above. God's priorities are now our priorities. What is important to him is important to us. What he loves is now what we love. So what are God's priorities? As we see in his word, his glory, righteousness, holiness, exalting Christ, and our sanctification. These are the things that should be important to us as well. We have new priorities. We also have a new perspective from which to view things. Verse 2. Set your mind on things that are above. We used to see things from a worldly perspective. But now we see things from a biblical perspective. We view things in the truth that God is sovereign and the world is diseased because of sin. The world's perspective is temporal and physical what it, it answers the question, what is best for me right now? A pa- the pastor of the largest church in America wrote a best selling book entitled, Live Your Best Life Now. It's all about now, it's all about this life. That's the worldly perspective. But the truth is, those Who die abiding in Christ, for those, this world is the closest thing to hell that they will experience. For those who die in unbelief, this life, this world is the closest thing to heaven that they will experience. Our best life as believers is not now, it's in the life to come. That's a great place for an amen. But that's the truth. This is not our home. We have a new nature and a new destination. Our perspective is eternal and it's spiritual. We look to see how God is working and how the things that happen fit in with his priorities. That's that perspective. So we have a new priority, a new perspective. We also have... A new secret that is hidden from others. Secret. Verse 3. Your life is hidden in Christ. People who knew us before Christ no longer know us. Not the new us. They can't see the Holy Spirit in us. They may be confused by the changes that they see to our words and our actions. Have you ever had a friend or family member who saw you become saved and then were, like, confused? I don't get it. But then they come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they said, now I get it. That's the the change. That's the secret being revealed to fellow believers. But we shouldn't only just share the gospel with unbelievers. We should explain to them the things that we say and do, that they witness, even if they don't ask. Pre-pandemic, because I still work from home, I'd go out with a coworker, run an errand or whatever. And one day he was driving. I was a passenger in his car, and someone cut us off and almost caused an accident. He went livid. And he flashed half a peace sign to him. I see someone trying to figure out what does that mean. He flashed a half a peace sign. He was so angry. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, here comes road rage. And so my response to that was, have you ever considered... How stressful that guy's life is? He seems to be in a hurry. I wonder if he's, I wonder if he's late for his job. How many times was he late? Is, is this last time, this next time that he's late going to mean that he's fired? That's kind of stressful. What is his home life like? Is his home life chaotic that it caused him to, to leave the house late, that now he has to run like a madman on the, on the roads? I offered that different perspective, and it got my coworker to think, hmm, you know, there might be something I don't know about that guy. We can share our thought processes with unbelievers to give them, to show them the perspective that we have in our new nature. It reminds me of, 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 of an incident that happened 50 years ago. I was in the car with my dad. It was a 1964 Kelly Green Chevy Impala convertible. And we were in Manhattan approaching the Holland Tunnel because we were gonna go upstate to open up the bungalow for the summer, because we closed it down for the winter. And we were gonna go up there and prepare for the rest of the family. But it was a Saturday morning early and everybody had the same idea. And so there were six lanes of traffic all merging into two lanes in the tunnel. And it was bumper to bumper, and everybody's inching forward, and no one is yielding to anybody. And the cars are getting closer and closer as things are squeezing in. My dad's looking straight ahead, the guy next to him is looking straight ahead, not making eye contact at all, and just inching up, inching up, lurching, as one car didn't understand, you're supposed to just keep going smoothly. He lurched forward so everybody else lurches to make sure there's no space to yield. So we're we're closing in on the tunnel, and things are getting tighter and tighter. So my dad leans over. Now, the cars back then were wide. They're like 12 feet wide. So he's leaning over. He's got to shout. He's not angry at the guy. He's just shouting so he could, the guy can hear him. And he says, I'll shoot you for it. Now, I have to explain. 50 years ago, in New York, I'll shoot you for it means something different than saying that today in Arizona. So I have to explain. Whenever we had to decide on something, Back then. We didn't flip a coin. First of all, we had no money. Second, we were not going to drop money on the floor. We weren't even going to pick it up. And we're not going to leave it on our wrist where somebody could snatch it. So we did, some, we did the next best thing. Or actually the better thing. We all, this was a common agreement. We all agreed. When we say, I'll shoot you for it, at the given sign, you either put out one or two fingers. And you call, you call odds or evens. Somebody calls odds. Another one calls evens. Now, there can only be two outcomes. Either both people put out one or two, that would be even, or one puts out one, the other one puts two, and then it's not. And so whichever it is, you're the winner. So the guy said, okay. And so my dad goes, once, twice, three, shoot. That's what you say, once, twice, three, shoot. And you put out a finger. I don't remember if my dad called odd or even, but the guy won. So my dad smiled and, Waved him on. The guy had a blank look on his face. And then that blank look melted into a smile. He burst out laughing and he waved my dad on. Because it was, it, was it was a silly way to res- resolve an argument. That it's like, who does that? But that's the kind of thing that we, we should do. Lower the temperature of things. Tone things down. Don't, don't amp them up. Don't stoke the flames. So... That new secret that is hidden from others. So we have a new priority, a new perspective, a new secret. New responsibilities that require my consideration. Verse 5. Put to death what is worldly in you. And verse 8. But now you must put them all away. Before we were saved, we didn't care about sin, except we didn't want to get caught. Really, that's what it is. But now we don't have the option to sin and not expect consequences. In our new nature, we will face discipline when we sin. And this is difficult for us because the world does what we're no longer allowed to do with increasing freedom. Have you noticed that? It's... Not just tolerated or accepted, it's celebrated and worse than that, encouraged. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, lying, sexual immorality, impurity, evil desire, and covetousness. These are characteristics of the world's nature, of our old nature, we no longer have that nature. We have a new nature. But that's what the world traffics in. That's what's celebrated and encouraged. And we're standing on the sidelines, ling. I I can't co-sign on that. At least that's my prayer that you're not. We're not supposed to do that. Scripture says. So we have new responsibilities. New priority, new perspective, new secret, new responsibilities, and new attitudes that drive my thoughts. Verse 12 says Compassionate hearts. Our first response to someone in discomfort is compassion. We shouldn't wonder if they deserved the discomfort that they're experiencing. And we might remember in Scripture when the disciples with Jesus, they saw a blind man, blind from birth, and they asked Jesus, Is his blindness caused by his sin or his parents' sin? Which doesn't make any sense. How could a blind man born blind have committed any sin to be blind? He hadn't done anything yet. But that looking for fault, looking for some justification, explanation as to why suffering that discomfort, We're not to have that heart. We're supposed to have compassionate hearts. The world thinks in terms of payback. We're to think in terms of grace. We also see in these verses humility. We're to think more highly of others than ourselves. We're not to try to get our way at the expense of others, we're to be considerate of others. We're also to forgive. We're all in the process of growing in Christ's likeness. We're not there yet. We will stumble and we'll sin. We may hurt someone accidentally. When someone sins against us, we're to forgive them. And our unwillingness to forgive will invite God's discipline Patience, we're called to be patient. That's part of our new nature, to be patient. It's a form of humility. When you consider what patience is, it is a form of humility. It's waiting on another's timeline, timetable. Setting aside how long we think something should take and allowing them to take as long as they feel it's needed to take. That's, that's being humble, but it manifests itself as patience. Patience is waiting in a way that doesn't show others that we think it should be quicker. So telling someone, yeah, take your time, and then standing there with your arm folded, tapping your foot, looking at your watch, that's not patience. So which reminds me of, of, of a challenge that I have when even i go out shopping i'll tell her take your time and i genuinely and sincerely mean that with all my heart take your time but i have this reflex that when i say the word time i got to look at my watch now i know if i look at my watch in her in her eye shot she's going to think that i'm already mar- counting the clock down and i'm going to wait to see how long it's going to take so i get a little crafty because I can't help myself, i got to look at my watch. So I might turn and glance at my watch, or I might go to the next aisle and watch, look at my watch. But sometimes that's not possible. So I, I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll grab something off the shelf. Oh, look at this, this is interesting. <laughs> and I put it back on the shelf. That came to bite me one day. Three months after doing that once, Eva got me that thing for my birthday. <laughs> and I'm like, what made you think of getting this for me? Well, a couple of months ago, you picked that up and you said it was interesting, so I thought I'd surprise you. <laughs> so, that's... I don't do that anymore. I'll, I, I, I try to... It's, it's, it's a reflex. I, I, don't, I really don't mean to put, start the timer or anything. It's just time, oh, okay. So we have, you know, that's, that's patience, just allowing someone to take the time that they feel is needed for whatever the task is. That's what patience is. In verse 15, we see peace of Christ. That's the rest and security that comes from knowing that we are saved. Because we don't succumb to worry, doubt, uncertainty, or fear. That's one of the things that, many things that I appreciate about being saved, about having a new life in Christ, is that peace. Unbelievers don't have peace because they don't have Christ. And here's an interesting little Bible tidbit. Whenever you see grace and peace in a verse, grace always comes first. It's always grace and peace. I think that's by divine design because we can't experience God's peace until we have received God's grace. That's, that's how I remember it. And we're to be thankful. We saw that a couple of times. When we receive something, we have two responses. One is entitlement, I deserve it, or thankfulness. When I receive my paycheck, I'm not thankful. I expect it. That's the contract I have. I do work. I get paid. But when someone gives me a gift, I'm thankful because I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. There was no contract. It was just some, something that someone gave me. Just like the Lord gave us new life. The world is growing in its its sense of entitlement. Have you noticed that? They think they deserve what they have, and they think that they deserve more. It's never enough. And it leads to resentment. I don't have that, I deserve it, and I'm owed it. Now there's some hidden bank account that says that they're in a deficit because they should have had that and they didn't have that. And taken to an extreme, it becomes spiteful. Well, if I can't have it, I'll make sure no one else does. That's the world. But we're to be thankful because we know that we didn't earn anything that we have. All the things that we received when we repented and believed are gifts. Even the faith to believe is the gift. We had nothing, and the Lord gave us everything. And we saw that in verse 15, 16, and 17. Thankfulness is is listed all throughout Scripture. Thankful. Be thankful. Gratitude is the attitude that sets the altitude for living. The more grateful we are to the Lord, the more we can see his blessing and abundance in our lives. So we have new priority, new perspective, new secret, new responsibilities, new attitudes. And we also have new actions that drive my behavior. Actions should be the outward expression of our attitudes. So basically, the things that are listed under attitudes and actions can fall under both, because one flows from the other. In verse 12, we see meekness, attitudes and actions under control, toning them down to match the occasion. An event can evoke a strong emotion but require a gentle response. That's meekness. When an event triggers a strong emotion but requires a gentle response, And we do that, we are demonstrating meekness. We look to lower the temperature of the situation, just as my dad did in merging in the Holland Tunnel. We see kindness in the list. Have a good and benevolent disposition towards others. We are to have a desire to do good to others and act on that desire. It has to result in action, not just, oh, I want... It would be nice if I did something nice for that person. No, actually go do it. The world says that they'll be nice to the ones that are nice to them. It's transactional. Our kindness to others does not depend on anyone else. It doesn't depend on how they treat us, what they've done or what they haven't done. We are to be kind We answer to the Lord and we don't allow others to control how we are going to behave and respond. Verse 13. Bearing with one another. We will find that we don't always connect with people. Some people's personalities are. Or abrasive or incompatible with ours. And this is not necessarily sinful. But in these situations, bearing with one another means to look beyond our own discomfort and treat them as we would those who do have personalities that connect with us and compatible with us. That's what bearing with one another means. And I I know I've been on the receiving end of that because as, now I'm from New York and I, I act and think differently than people from the West Coast. And I know they bear with me in, in some of my speech patterns and, and thought patterns. Not sinful, just it's kind of the result of how I grew up. And you're so kind and gracious to me. So I appreciate that. But that's what that looks like. That's, that's bearing with one another in action. That's what it looks like. Verse 14, love, above all put on love, love in attitude, love in action. Love covers a multitude of sins and binds everything together. It is the act that shows the world that we're Christians, John 13, 35. That's the marker that shows the world that we are disciples of Christ if we have love For one another. And in verse 16, we see the word of Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let. That means to allow. We can read God's word and resist what it says. We can. But we're to let God fill us with his word fill our thoughts, and drive our actions. And then we're to teach others what we've learned and practiced. That's why we disciple faithfully and equip continually here at Canyon. That's why we do it. To let let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. So new priorities, new preference, uh, perspective, New secret, new responsibilities, new attitude, new actions. Last on this list, but not least, new power to live in this new nature. It's new power. God the Holy Spirit lives in us. He is the power for us to live, this new, live life in this new nature. He is our power source. He gives us gifts. He's our helper. He guides. He leads. He directs. He convicts, but we have the responsibility to respond and to act. We're not puppets. That's part of the sanctification process. Sanctification runs on two rails, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Both are part of sanctification. So we have to respond to what the Spirit is doing in us. And leave us with this final thought. The more I walk in my new nature by the power of the Holy Spirit, abiding in Christ will be my first response, not my last resort. The more we know, the more we live in this newness of life, the more our natural responses will be more Christ-like. They'll be less deliberate. They'll be more instinctive. You may have noticed something about this teaching outline this morning. It uses the singular personal pronoun, I or my. In contrast to our new family, which is collective, our nature is personal and unique to each and every one of us. We have the same nature because we have one, the same spirit in us, the same salvation. But your new nature and my new nature look alike, but that's my nature and your nature, and we all have to live out our lives in that new nature. We do that together sometimes, but we're all responsible for living in the newness of this life. It's personal. If there's anyone here this morning who doesn't have this new nature, who is living life in this world that's getting colder and harder and darker, more difficult and feeling helpless and hopeless i want you to know you can have a new nature completely new it doesn't matter what your history of sin has looked like what your life looked like before many of us have stories that would make your hair stand on end if you had hair but no sin is beyond god's grace and forgiveness that's another place for an amen but if, if, you are, if you don't have the new nature and you would like to know more, please come and see one of us pastors. We'd be, we would be thrilled to explain how that can happen, how you can receive that new nature. And for the rest of us, please agree with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the new life we have in Christ. We have a new nature. Not just that our sins are forgiven and paid for, which is absolutely the most important thing for us, is that we won't face your wrath, but you've blessed us with blessings upon blessings and given us a new nature among all these other things that you've given us. And Lord, we desire to represent you well amongst lost and dying people. So Holy Spirit, we know that you are constantly 24 hours a day, seven days a week, without ceasing, ministering to our hearts, convicting us, showing us where we're falling short, showing us where we can be more obedient to Christ. And we ask for those opportunities this week where we can demonstrate our new nature properly to those who need to know that you're a loving God, a gracious God, a generous God. So, Lord, we would ask that you would use us to share the good news to those who need to hear it, that would bring glory to you and be a blessing to them because, they are, because you are so worthy of all of our worship and praise. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.